rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I chose this passage for two reasons. One, it is the very passage that helped me switch to a, uh, uh, an infant baptism understanding of the, of the sacrament. And it is also one of my absolute favorite texts in all of scripture. So I thank you for joining me with, as we look into God's word together. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that my words might be useful to your people and that um, you might fill me with your spirit so that I might proclaim that which is true. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. It's probably not right to have a favorite book of the Bible. I mean, maybe it is. Is it? Is it okay to have a favorite? I mean, it's all God's word, it's all important, but boy, Colossians is ranking up there really well for me. And Colossians 2, 6 through 7 was one of those early verses for myself when I was a teen. I see some teenagers in the back. When I was you sitting in the back and like all the pastor sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, 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 And then I remember one time this verse was read, and it's like, as the, therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him. And I had to wrestle through that. I had to look and ask, what does that mean? You see, because I was raised in this very sincere and earnest community, Christian community, but it, what was taught and what was lived sometimes seemed a little bit different at times. It was like you get saved by faith in Jesus. You come empty-handed to the cross. You come up to the altar of God and you say, I am yours. If you will have me, please take me and forgive me. And then we turn around and get immediately the handbook and the rule book, and here's the code. And here's how you better live now that you're in. And it was almost like there was a disconnect between the two. And I, it all of a sudden, I remember at some point, probably wasn't the first time I heard it, but the first time I heard this passage. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him. That continue, just as you came to Jesus, empty-handed, faith in Christ, 
trusting that he will carry you, trusting that he sees you, trusting that he knows you, that he loves you. That's why this passage has become very important to me. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You see, and then he immediately goes into this passage where he's saying, watch out that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the, human, according to the elemental, elemental principles of the world, but not according to Christ. Why? Why should we be careful? Uh, I've often heard this passage taken out, like especially if I go back to my days of the youth, was to watch out for any teacher that isn't already a, a preordained, sanctified Christian. Okay, that makes sense. And then, and then it was often used to say, watch out when you go to universities, they're, they're out to get you. I found that wasn't always true, but sometimes. Uh, then again, I went to a Christian college, and I found out sometimes they were out to, I don't know. You, you, had bad, you had the experiences everywhere you go. But watch out that no one takes you captive through hollow philosophy. A hollow philosophy that's going to keep you from doing what the first couple verses asked. Just as you received Christ, continue to walk in him. And there's going to be ideas and philosophies out there that are going to try to take you off of that path. They're going to try to take you away from walking in Jesus through trust and faith that he is enough and he will carry you and he sees you and he knows you and has claimed you. That he's marked you and put a seal on your life. Why is this? For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. <laughs> Chapter 2 is concerned about the possible eroding of the foundations, the losing touch with our roots of the faith, not holding fast to the head, which is Christ, according to Colossians 2.19. You see, the precise nature of the threat to the the, the Paul is writing here in this letter, it's not exactly clear what issues they were dealing with. It's been debated whether it was different forms of Gnosticism or different forms of spiritualism or different forms of asceticism, but there are some clear characteristics of the problems that bear remarkable resemblance to the temptations we have today that can derail us and take us off track of walking the path of Christ. The two that I'm going to look at today that he highlights is one is dualism and the other is idolatry dualism, and idolatry. Do not be taken captive through the philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition. Whatever that philosophy is that this author was writing about, it's clear that it came with a severe regime of bodily asceticism. Colossians 2.16 talks about not letting strict imposition of calendar observances uh, and, and condemns regarding condemnations regarding food or drink. It's not about what you're doing or what you're, what's on your calendar or what you're eating or drinking. It also kind of chastises the idea that you need to fast enough or that you need to abuse yourself enough to be worthy of God's mercies, Colossians 2.17. It, it chastises and says don't get caught up in angelic visions or experiences of self-transcendence, of you reaching that other worldliness, that dualistic worldliness that we have to leave behind this world. The idea that this world, this is a worldview of spiritual practice that promotes self-imposed piety, humility, and the severe treatment of the body. Those are some of the issues that we can infer is what Paul was addressing. That's why I bring up the idea of dualism. It is a clear and early form of dualism where in the body, uh, tied as it is to time and place, is seen as a lower realm. You see, when we're dealing with the Greek 
the Greek world, Plato's ideas had seeped in and woven itself through the fabric of the whole Mediterranean world. And that platonic idea, have you ever heard of the word platonic ideas? By the way, I'm really excited when I ever get to use platonic in a sermon because my inner philosophy major gets to come out for once. Please bear with it. But if you remember, the most famous story of Plato is that he was in a cave and he's talking about these people that you know, were strapped down and they were looking at reality, but the reality was just the real shadows and, and, and the, there was, the shadows were coming from a light behind them and they couldn't tell because they couldn't turn their head and see. And there was this, it, go back and read the cave, it'll be fun. Or catch me afterwards and I'll tell you all about it because I, I get really excited about it. But there was this idea that what you and I see, the fleshly world, the temporal world, the physical body material world is less important than the world of ideas and the world of the spirit. Now, have you ever seen or heard that possibly kind of alluded to in the teachings of a church? I have. When we read time and time again that Paul says we need to remove the flesh, well, do we mean all flesh or just the effects of sin on the flesh? The thing about dualism is that it strips the physical world of its importance and necessity. And Paul challenges this dualism. He challenges it. He says, uh, such an ascetic piety, in fact, accomplishes nothing to curb the appetites of the body. This is a hard one, by the way, especially for parents. Discipline and rules do not take away desires. I'm glad you laughed at that because it is kind of funny, isn't it? When you say it like that, it, we kind of go, of course. Why would rules just change our hearts? It doesn't. But I've sat in board meetings at churches where they say, we need a set of rules for youth leaders. Okay, all right, we'll, we'll make them. They became a good joke amongst the youth leaders because the rules didn't even have a procedure to follow them. It was just, here they are, they're posted. There they are, that's all we had. Have you ever seen a rule change your heart? No. Rules without relationship breeds rebellion, Josh McDowell said. And that's one of the things that I think Paul really understood, that just disciplining yourself doesn't actually change the appetites of the body. It doesn't seek to give over that life of control to Jesus unless there's a relationship with Jesus, an understanding of who he is and a personal connection to him. Paul challenges dualism that the nature of embodiment by through the nature of our embodiment or our union with Christ. So the other reason why I chose this text, by the way, today wasn't just because it's about baptism, but it's about union with, our union with Christ, which is about baptism. But also for the remainder of the summer, we're going to be kind of wandering our way through, looking into what this union with Christ means and how it impacts our daily life, our spiritual life, our eternal life. You see, John Calvin was probably most known for his uh, stance on predestination, but I think what was most central to his theology, which our church is built off of, what was most central to Calvin's theology was that we are united with Christ. And that's what we look to here in the text. Let's take a look. So here we have, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In Jesus, in the person of Jesus, God is fully manifested. 
And you and I have come to fullness in Jesus, who is the head over every ruler and authority. So here you have God is fully represented in Jesus, and Jesus, we are fully represented in God. Physically, embodied, tangibly. It's not merely just a spiritual idea or a spiritual truth or a, 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 a piece of prose on, the, on a paper that we assent to. No, what has happened here is there's an embodiment of the people of God united with Jesus. It turns the very categories of dualism on their head. That's why he said, in him the fullness of God, the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you've come to fullness in him. God embodied fully in Jesus and his followers participating in the fullness of Christ. So it could leave us to be concerned. We could still ask, um, what are the real temptations in this bodily life? How do we deal with them? Well, Paul continues, know that in him you were circumcised. You were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. That's what it says in Colossians 2.11. Okay, that gets a little weird. I know that we're talking about circumcisions, but just think of it as the mark of God's covenant on his people. That you were marked in him before with circumcision, and you know there was a big contention in the early church. Do we as Christians have to follow the Old Testament law and be circumcised? And the answer that ultimately came was no. It's not the circumcision that makes you holy. It's Christ who makes you holy. But here's why. It's not that God has just merely done away with the Old Testament and the law is now passe or outdated or arcane. No, it's that Jesus fulfilled the law. Thank you, Tony. Jesus fulfilled the law in time and in space and in body. Often I use the NIV because it was what I was raised with and it reads well. Some of these other translations that we like to use, they're really nice, they're accurate, they don't read well. I'm not going to use the NIV on this one because at verse 11, in him you were also circumcised with the spiritual circumcision by the removal of the body of the flesh of the circumcision of Christ. NIV will read it with Christ. And grammatically, you can read it that way. It's fine. But theologically, it's not that Christ is spiritually circumcising us, marking us, identifying us in his kingdom, as much as it is we are marked because of Jesus' promised marking covenant marker of circumcision. His mark covers us in the same way his obedience covers us. God embodiment embodied fully in Jesus and the followers participating in the fullness through Christ. We have to anchor everything that we do in this Christian life on that truth. That is how we walk, continue to walk as we came to know Christ. You see, let's, let's break it down. We have to remember, Jesus' obedience to the law is what? It's our obedience. Jesus' satisfaction of the law and fulfillment of the law is what? It's our fulfillment. Jesus' burial is our burial. Jesus' death is our death. And Jesus' resurrection is our resurrection. So often we look to the future and to the resurrection hope of the future. And yes, when Christ comes again and he makes all things new, amen. What a wonderful day. But there is a newness to life that is real, tangible, and effective today. And we just witnessed an act of God this morning. 
a promise, a sign, a seal of God's action on the life of a little child. And we pray for this child's journey. We pray that it will come to fruition and come to full fruit. And that we, of course, we would love to have the story that Juliet never had a hard day in her life, wouldn't we? But you can already hear that my Juliet on the way out tripped and fell. So we know that there's going to be trips. We know that there's going to be falls. We know there's going to be struggles. But boy, we can, if there's one thing, we, there's two things I guess we can count on. We're all going to have some struggles and some pains and some sufferings. And we can also count even more so that God will be faithful to his promise. Why? Because Jesus' obedience is our obedience. Jesus' death is our death. Jesus' burial is our burial. Jesus' resurrection is our resurrection, which means Jesus is alive and well at the right hand of God, and his life is our life. His living is our living today. His aliveness over death is our life in Christ today. We are united with Christ through his work and his victory. There's no embodiment of faith without forgiveness. There's no embodiment of faith without forgiveness because he has to bring us into himself. And the only way to do that is to absolve us of that which separates us in the first place. Colossians, uh, Brian Walsh, and if you ever want to read an interesting take on the book of Colossians, read Walsh and uh, Kismet's uh, Colossians Remixed. Colossians takes us to the place of forgiveness. Something remarkable happens at the cross Our author doesn't tell us exactly how this works, but at the cross, it is is nailed all that stood against us and all that has held us guilty and all that would strip us of the fullness of embodied life. Trespasses, transgressions, sins are forgiven, and no one gets to rule us out of the kingdom again. This is the good news. This is why the body matters. This is why the physical matters, because we are not just spirit, but we are mind, body, and spirit, and God loves all of you. I mean, he loves all of you, but he loves all of you, not just the spirit. And he wants to redeem the body today. He wants to redeem the body tomorrow, and he wants us to live in the freeness. In chapter 3, he goes on for how you live and what that living looks like, and we can get into that another day. But just know that today, we don't need to set up a dualism. We don't need to set up idols of how we can approach God in a way that we can be in control of or manage. But no, we can just come to God and come to Christ because Jesus is alive and his life he gives us through faith. This is our good news. This is Juliet's good news today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Amen? Lord, help us to um, understand this. Help us to believe it. Lord, I know there's some people that are struggling with belief right now. It sounds too good to be true, or it just sounds made up, or it sounds archaic, it sounds old-fashioned, it sounds, I don't know what it sounds like. And Lord, you know, there's days where I don't know what it sounds like. But God, I pray that your spirit would meet with us, if not today, tomorrow, if not tomorrow, the next day. But Lord, even if we struggle with obedience, even if we struggle with love, even if we struggle with faith, you are faithful. Thank you, God, for being faithful for the work that you started, the work that you were working out in us, and the work that you're completing in us. We thank you for the grace of Jesus. And so, Lord, help us just to receive it and to walk in it, being rooted and established in your love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, we